Great to have everyone here this morning. My name is Pastor John Hubert, for everybody who is new or if you just forgot from last week. And I want to highlight a couple things before we start this morning. One is our Connect card, and uh, please use our Connect card. We actually got our offering box fixed. Uh, We had a break in a little bit. We got it fixed, so you can use that to put in your information, also your offerings. Uh, We're going to make sure that we clear it out on Sunday afternoon. But uh, this is a Connect card. If you're new with us, um, I I learned this this week. Give us as much information as you're willing to give us. So if you say, I'm new, my name's John, and that's all you're going to get this week. Okay, that's fine. I would like to know that John was here. Okay, next week you say, my name is John Hubert, and here's the first digit of my phone number. Okay, you know, whatever whatever you want to do. Whatever makes you happy, that's fine. We like to get to know you. if you're interested in something, uh, interested in ministry. So uh, start out with uh, new people. Also, if you are part of our church and you want to share a prayer request, celebration, a comment, uh, you want to volunteer for anything Ken talked about today, uh, Ken is a professional cleaner. You will learn from the best if you do it with Ken, just so you know. also wanted to know, we just printed out a bunch of no, new You're Invited cards. We had to throw the last of the ones we had before away because they had the wrong service time. We have new ones. They're back there. These are to give to friends, uh, enemies, everybody um, that uh, you want to invite to church. So take a stack of these. Uh, we'll print more. I feel like I'm doing a home shopping show here. Okay. The last thing we have is our Easter invitation. Um, these, we're going to use the same ones we did last year. It's got all the information about what's coming up. Uh, one thing is we have a community Good Friday service that is coming up. And... Uh, That'll be on the uh, Good Friday and uh, at 6. And then we have our Easter service. But what this does is if you fold it out, it gives the whole message of why we do Easter, why we do Good Friday, why we do Palm Sunday. Uh, this is something you can use as a witnessing tool. It's got the contact information from the church on the back. This is something else to hand out. We just want to equip you to have resources. And in, fa- and in case, I mean, let's be honest, sometimes the biggest thing I've learned, the more I've l- think that I've learned is that I don't know everything. And you're like, why do we do Good Friday again? We do Good Friday because it's okay to do that. It's okay to look something up and say, okay, this is why it was. This is why it started. And so you can give good information for people, invite them to church, invite them for why we celebrate Easter. Uh, So I just want to make sure those are all available on our uh, table in the back. And if you're new with us today and give us a card, uh, we have a gift for you today. And we just went out yesterday and bought all new gifts. So very excited about that. Uh, other last piece of information I wanted to share is it is an exciting day to celebrate St. Patrick's Day in church because most of the time St. Patrick's Day is celebrated in a not-so-Christian way. Um, green beer is kind of what you know for St. Patrick's Day. But let me tell you a little about St. Patrick, just a little bit of thing, why I'm excited. He is probably one of the greatest Christian missionaries of all time. He, and uh, this is a trick question, but what nationality is St. Patrick? English. Um, everybody thinks he's Irish, but he actually was a missionary who was taken captive, a man who was taken captive by the Irish, es- escaped or was released, went back to the Irish as a missionary and converted many of the Irish to Christianity. One of the greatest missionaries that we've ever seen. And the way people celebrate it today is so interesting. It's like, hey, St. Patrick's Day, let's go drink. Uh, that's, you know, St. Patrick's, we should be like, let's celebrate Christian missions. We should take a hey, we should have done a missions offering today. I didn't even think about that. But um, just the whole concept of St. Patrick's, so happy St. Patrick's Day, and 
go tell your neighbor about Jesus. So maybe somebody, if, if St. Patrick can do it after being taken captive and made a slave by people, I think we can do it for our, our neighbors too. So Today I want to talk to you about the last hours with the disciples, Jesus' last hours. And if you look at the last hour instructions, what are the last things that you receive? Uh, for some people, I mean, Jesus is going to die within a day here. And it's just like, what does he want to tell his disciples? What does he want to tell him? And if you think about it, tell you, what would the last words that you want to give to somebody, like they're about to go on a mission, or you're about to leave them, or um, you're about to you know, drop your kid off at college, and you want to give them that last piece of it, you know, what do you need? Um, and so uh, I looked up uh, um, on the internet, I looked up like last words that people said in their lives, and most of them weren't that exciting. Um, a lot of people uh, either confirmed the fact that I did whatever I wanted, now leave me alone, or they said, hey, I might have messed things up, or things like that. But a lot of people didn't have a lot of profound things to say. Or uh, many times we don't know. My favorite one was, uh, and it's sad, but uh, this guy um, had a heart attack, and somebody said, get a doctor, and he goes, I am a doctor. And that was the last thing he said. So, you know, that's, that's difficult, because he's like, I'm the one who can save me, and I'm the one who's dying here. Um, but the whole thing is, is that we have this concept of uh, what we want to say, one last shot at something, one more saying that we can leave with people. The last, we're going to talk about the last supper today. These words that are talked about today uh, are right there. This do in remembrance of me, what we're talking about today. This is, that imp- this is the things he's going to say, and to this day, we're going to take communion today at the end of the service because we're going to talk about Jesus thought that this was the most important thing he should do in, s- in the la- some of the last hours he had with his disciples. So turn with me in your Bible to Mark chapter 14. And we're really going to focus on this concept. Jesus has a plan. And Jesus has a plan even though we do our own plans. Okay, there's this contrary thing that we have is that Jesus is always planning for our lives. Jesus is always providing for our lives. And we're always seeing how far we can get away from Jesus' plan. Not always, but that seems to be a natural thing. We see it throughout the Bible where the Israelites, Jesus says, or God tells them go this way and they go this way. So then what does God do? He drags them back over here. They get online and they go over here again. Or maybe they take a little turn over here. He's always pulling us back. So Jesus has a plan. I, I, I think that that's an important thing. If you look even at the beginning, if you look at Ma- Mark chapter 14, some little things there. It says, On the first day of the unleavened, uh, of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. And wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where is my guest room? Where I may eat the Passover with my disciples. And he will show you a large upper room furnished and ready, there prepared for us. And the disciples set out and went into the city and found it just as he had told them as they prepared the Passover. So what I want you to see is right here, the Passover is a big feast for Jews, a big Jewish holiday. You have to come back to Jerusalem you have to sacrifice a lamb, and not only do you have to sacrifice a lamb, you have to eat it in Jerusalem. In fact, that they expanded the border of Jerusalem. They said, now nah, Jerusalem's actually this big, so they could make everybody in that place. And so they look to Jesus and say, what do we want 
What do you want? Well, how do we want this for you? They look to Jesus and he says, and the teacher says, where is my classroom that I may eat my Passover? So Jesus is saying, this is the thing for him, and his disciples are there uh, to, to uh, follow his plan. But here's what's interesting. When did Jesus do all of this? When did Jesus prepare this plan? When did he have this intricate plan? And what we need to understand, I think there's just a quick story, I've never examined this part, is Jesus is always planning for our life. Jesus is always securing a plan for us. He is showing in the last few hours, he could have spent time doing everything else, he spent time making sure that this last event with his disciples was going to be a special event. Okay, there's some things in here that are very odd, very James Bondish. just so you know. I did not, I did not realize until I said it. It's like secret, look for the guy who has the, you know, the top hat with this, you know, w- waving his arm, doing, you know, this secret code. Because he tells people, he says, go in and find the guy carrying a jar of water. And you say to yourself, so what? No man would ever carry a jar of water. Okay? So he has a plan already set up. Only women carry jars of water. Men carry skins of water. So he has it set up. So he says, it's going to be obvious to you because it's going to be the only guy doing this. And I like that fact that Jesus made it obvious because sometimes I really need it obvious. I don't know about you guys. I need it to be obvious to me. And this really spoke to me like Jesus is sometimes going to say, John, it's the one person that's unique. Okay? Look for that person. And then he said, tell that person, the teacher says, and it it sounds like he's already prepared this person. He's already prepared the person. And understand, when we go out into the world, when we go out to do things that Jesus calls us to do, he has prepared the people that we are going to meet. He has worked with people. It's not like Jesus doesn't go out before us. It's not like Jesus just sends us out and goes, wow, I wonder how that's going to go. Wow, I I sent that church up there, and I'm, I'm enjoying up here seeing how they're doing. Man, we should have done something in advance for them. No, Jesus does that. He goes on in advance. He, he already talked to this guy. And it says, where is my, he says, ask him where his guest room is. And he will show you a large upper room, furnished and ready. And that just stood out to me. He says, furnished and ready. God has a plan for your life. God has a plan. Even in his last hours. Jesus is about to go some of the, through some of the worst things of his life to the point that he, in the next few hours, is going to be so, in such distress that he will uh, pray so hard that he will sweat blood. That's how much pressure he's going to be under. Yet during this time, when he knows this is coming, he's still looking out for his disciples. He's still looking out for his people. What does that tell you about Jesus? In his last hours, he cares about you. There is never a time that Jesus is going to turn on you and say, you know, I I don't care about you anymore. And he's going to say some things in the next few lines that are really going to be frustrating if you have a group of friends, the things he has to say. But he's going to say, I'm looking out for you. I already have a plan. And so, and when it was evening in uh, verse 17, he says, he came with the 12. So he brought his whole group there. And as they were reclining at the table, so he sets up this really nice scene for them. Verse 17 and 18, they came with the 12, they're reclining and eating. Now, in this time period, if you're reclining, it means it's a formal meal. He's having a formal Passover meal. The Passover meal was to celebrate the fact that when, the, um, uh, when they were in Egypt, when the first 
uh, firstborn was killed of all the Egyptians, that they were saved by the blood of the lamb that was set over the, lamb, or over the tops of their doors. And so he, they're going to celebrate this meal. Um, there's a tense time, but he says, let's relax just for a little bit. Let's get into this, okay? And he takes him up into this upper room. It's going to be a formal dining thing. And the first thing he says to him, okay, you're relaxed? Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. Okay. I'm just, I, can, I don't know, if you can't feel the tension, they are thinking to themselves, we're with Jesus, we're finally alone, we can just enjoy the Passover, and he drops this bomb on us. One of you will betray me. One of you eating with me. Jesus had talked before. Jesus had talked before in Mark 9 about the fact that he will be turned over. He'll be delivered to the authorities. Mark 10, and he says, I will be delivered over to the chief priest. He has said before, over and over again, somebody is going to turn me in to the chief priest. Somebody is going to turn me in. Now he tells them exactly what it is. He says, one of you 12 that is with me today is going to do this. One of you will betray with me, one who is eating with me. And what's very important to understand, when you eat with somebody, it means that you trust that person. So the person that is about to do this is so sneaky that they're able to eat with Jesus, and we're going to see in a few hours that Judas is going to betray him, and Jesus says, you have now betrayed me. You are going to betray me, and one of you has done it. So here it is. The, the beginning of their great feast. And they begin to be sorrowful and say to him, if you look at verse 9, one after another, is it I? Is it I? So this is all, all of them start to say, is it I? One after another, they start to question themselves. Is it I that's going to betray Jesus? Is it I? Now two things are going to come out of this. First of all, the force of the Greek answer, before I even go to the two, is the fact that they expect that answer to be no, because they say, there's no way I'm going to betray Jesus. I'm never going to do that. But one of the people that says, is it I, is lying. Because it is one of them. So you've got somebody that's so cold that they can go into a situation and do this to him. But it also tells us this. This is where, when we take communion today, still to this day, we should ask ourselves, have we betrayed Jesus this week. I've heard it in a more formal situation when I've been with my Methodist friends. They'll have a whole prayer where they say, we, we just want to ask for forgiveness, God, for the ways that we have betrayed you this week, the way we have not held up to your standards, the way we have not done what you have asked us to do. And they do it all together. And I think about this, and even the first Corinthians says that we should examine ourselves. And that is important. It's right here. He starts with this concept that we still do today of examine yourself. Have I let Jesus down? Okay? And the second thing is, why does nobody ask, how can I help you, Jesus? You ever notice that? There's not one person that's worried about Jesus. They're all worried about their own reputation. They're worried about themselves. So there's a positive thing, but there's also kind of a not thinking of Jesus. Jesus is thinking about us. And I want to contrast, and the disciples think about themselves. And even with this happening... Even with Jesus realizing that one of them is going to betray him, even though realizing he's going to show next that they're all going to fall away from him, they're all going to turn their backs on him, Jesus still loves them. The last hours on earth, he needs to let them know, I will never let you down, 
and I have a plan for you. I am preparing a way for you. I have a plan for you. So, <laughs> I like to, and he said to them, it is one of the twelve, one who is dipping the bread into the dish with me. And makes it worse because if you dip bread into a dish with somebody, you are taking a vow that you will not have a hostile act with somebody. This is in a Jewish understanding. If you dip bread with somebody, it means it's like just saying a truce that you can't do a hostile act. So somebody is so um, lost, in the, lost in hate for Jesus that they're able to do that and lie to him right to his face. Verse 21. For the Son of Man, as it is written of him, but woe to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man to have not been born. So God is determined of this. He said, it has already been written. We knew that, I knew this was going to happen. But, the, it's set in motion, but he says, the person that betrays Jesus right here, it would be better for that person if they had not been born. And we're going to see what happens to Judas later, that he ends up having so much guilt in his life that he kills himself. And he's going to have so much horror in his life. And it would, I mean, I would say that he would agree with this fact. It would have been better if he had not been born. But have you ever seen a picture of the Last Supper where everybody's reclining, everybody somewhat looks relaxed, they might be saying, this not I. I think that the, that the picture of the Last Supper, and I read this in a couple of books, I was like, should have been just 12 people in absolute horror face going, you know, what? You just said what? One of us is going to betray you? And they're just, you'd be staring in horror looking around going, what on earth? I can't deal with this. And so there's no comfortableness. There should be no, uh, they, a lot of pictures, I think in the Last Supper picture, it's got John just lying on Jesus. He's probably going, what? Okay, and so I'm re- if somebody could redo the Last Supper for me, it just, it's, it's not like a painting anybody's ever seen. So just redo it with everybody that's in horror going, what? You know, screaming and, this can't happen. But that's the Last Supper that we celebrate. That's what came right up to it. He, get, he just drops that on them. One of you is going to be the one who's going to betray me. One of you is going to do it, and it's going to be as if you should, it's better if you had ever been born. So now he takes the, the bread, and he starts parts of the Passover right here with them. And as they were eating, it says, he took the bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them, and said, take, this is my body. See, at the beginning of the Passover feast, this is what happens. The head of the family would lift up, took bread, lifted up, and said this, these words, Praise be thou, O Lord our King, King of the universe, who caused bread to come from the earth. After the amen response, the, the bread was broken and distributed to all so that they could have the blessing and they could take it in by eating it. And the same was done for the fruit of the vine. He would bless it, and then he would say, Now here's the blessing for everybody that's here. So Jesus takes his own bread, he breaks it, and again, not part of the Passover, and he hands it out like this to say, my breaking of my body is a blessing for you. And he drops that on him right there. Okay, he just drops that on him and says, now I'm going to be broken, but you know what? It's for you. He is the bread, which means the whole person, his whole, everything about him is going to be broken He's going to be killed. He's going to be tortured. He's going to be done horrific things to him. He's going to do this for them. 
But by passing this out, he's going to say, what's going to happen to me, the breaking that takes place right here is going to be for you. The stuff that you're about to see, the fact that you're going to see me up on that cross, and I can't imagine if you've been following Jesus what it's like to see him up on that cross. And he's going to say, this brokenness, here I am now, I'm passing it out to you. And remember, this was done for you. And this is going to be a blessing for you. Jesus uses something so basic as bread to make the disciples, every time they eat bread, he wants them to remember. And to this day, I just wanted to give you this note, I cannot drink grape juice without wanting a cracker. I don't know about you. I, I can't. If somebody gives me a grape juice, I'm like, is there a cracker? Is there a because in my mind, because I have taken communion my whole life, and that's good. Now that I thought, I thought that was a bad thing. But that's what God wants you to do. He wants you to think about the most basic thing. You break a roll in half, you think, oh, Christ is broken for me. He did something so basic like this for us. He didn't do something exotic. Okay, I'm going to take a sardine now and slice it down this, and whenever you eat a sardine, you know, no, no, something basic like bread, the fruit of the vine, things like this that we could handle. And he is going to go through this whole concept throughout his life. Bread had always been something. Remember every time he had been saying uh, that he provided bread for people, he always broke the bread when it was the feeding of the Jews, the feeding of the Gentiles, all these feedings they did. He broke the bread and he blessed it and he gave it to them. And he said, now go give it to other people. This is the symbolism. It's finally supposed to click in their head. I've been doing this all along to show you that I am the bread of life and I'm going to give you life, and you're going to pass it to others. And after that, it says in verse 23, he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is the blood of my covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. With, with the bread, this cup becomes the blessing of the new covenant. Now, I found this very interesting. He, d he does not say, and I've never noticed this before, notice how he gives them the cup, has them drink it, and then he tells them why they just drank it. Have you ever had anybody say, here, try this, and they don't tell you why? Don't usually do that, okay? I'm just saying. If somebody says, hey, this, this smells bad. Hey, try this. You, you, you probably have done that. Or I'm not sure this is good. Hey, let's go see if this person will drink it. Or try this. Okay, so he is giving them the, the vine, fruit of the vine. He says, now drink this. And when they all drank of it from the same cup, then he said, this is the blood, my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. And truly I say to you, I will not drink again of it, of the fruit of the vine, until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And so the reason is, is the, is the new, he's talking about the blood of the new covenant. That this is the covenant that's going to be with him and his people. And he's going to tell a group of Jewish people to drink blood. Is basically what he's saying. Because they would have said, if he would have gone up to them and said, drink of this blood, they would have said, no. No, we don't drink of blood. Because there's like multiple things in the Old Testament that says don't drink of blood. So he tells them to drink it, and then he tells them, okay, now don't freak out, but here is what it means. Because he wanted them to get the symbolism of it. And he wanted them to get past their, their issues. But he gives it to them, and he says, now this blood is this. So what does it mean? What, is the, what, is the, what do these two things mean for us today? Wine was considered the blood of the grape. It's plucked from the vine and crushed. The blood from the sacrificial animals of the Old Testament were poured out as the altar 
to atone for sins. And Jesus is saying, just like these grapes were crushed and made into blood, Jesus would be crushed and poured out for sin. And no more sacrifice will ever have to be made for you. And we are so thankful today that we did not have to bring animals today to sacrifice them. We did not have to make anything. All we have to do is look up to Jesus and say, thank you for the sacrifice you have made for me today. Thank you for the fact that you were crushed for me. Second, they all drank from the same cup. They enter into a communion relationship. We all drink from the same cup today. We all drink from the same source today. And what that means is we enter into relationship with one another. And he was trying to say, we all take this together. We are all together. I love the fact that we take communion today and we draw into communion with people that are here, people that are all over the world that are taking communion. They're taken from the same source and we are saying we are in communion with them. And blood sealed or started a new covenant. Now this is one of those scenes in the Old Testament. I'm, glad, I'm so glad I'm a New Testament Christian so many times. Exodus 24, 8. And Moses, this is what the first covenant looked like, took the blood from the sacrifice and threw it on the people. I'm so glad that I don't have that rule. Okay, everybody come up here. And you walk out dripping with blood. Hey, we had a great service today. Pastor put a new covenant on us. Okay? No, but that's what they did. I mean, they threw the blood on the people and they said, this is the blood of the covenant because the blood meant the covenant. Now he is trying to say, I am making a new covenant with you and it's going to be with my blood and this is going to be eternal. So he's making that. He's like that imagery you know from the Old Testament. Every kid knew that. Every Jewish kid knew that. He's saying, you know what? This is the new blood. And then he leaves them with this promise because it's kind of depressing. He says, I'm going to be broken. I'm going to be bled. It's going to be this. But he says, truly I say to you, in verse 25, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. We will drink this in full in the kingdom of God. He's saying, don't worry about it. Everything I told you, yes, I'm going to die. Yes, I'm going to be crushed. Yes, bad things are going to happen. But we will do this anew. We will drink this anew in the kingdom of God. This is the eternal hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Every time we take communion together, we proclaim the fact, like Paul will say in, in uh, 1 Corinthians, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes, and then this tells us, once we do this, we are going to be in heaven and take communion with Jesus someday. So every time we take this, we say, he promised he would do this again with us in heaven someday. What a great promise that we have. And so you think it's going to, okay, he's got a good positive note. So how is he going to end this? So Peter says to them, starting with verse 20, or, um, starting with verse 26, let's go there. And then they sang a hymn. And they went to the Mount of Olives. So they leave, they sing a hymn, they go to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. So not only is one of you going to betray me, but as soon as I am struck, you're all going to run for the hills. The encouragement is overwhelming. Okay? He's just telling them it's, it's not going to go. Because he's saying again, though, what he needs them to understand is, I understand that you're going to fail, but I'm not going to fail. That's an image you need to remember every time you take the Lord's Supper. Every time you look down at the sacrifice that Christ has made for you. Jesus knows, he says, it is written that what's going to happen is you're going to turn your back on me. 
And what does that mean to us? It means that sometimes we turn our back on Jesus and we're going to be scattered. And on the sheep will be scattered. He quotes from Zechariah where this happens. He says, I will take the blows that are shown in Isaiah 53. You will be scattered, but it's under God's control. There is hope. But he says, after I am raised up, I will go before you to to Galilee. In verse 28. So he says, I will be raised up. And then when I'm raised up, what is a good, he says, I am the shepherd. What do shepherds do when their sheep are scattered? They go get them and bring them back. They go get them and bring them back. So he drops this on him. He says, you're going to be scattered. You're going to be scared. You're not going to know what's going on. And I'm going to come back. I'm going to rise from the dead. This is the fifth time he's predicted his resurrection. I'm going to rise from the dead and then I'm going to come and bring you back. I'm going to come and gather you all together in Galilee. So the future of the Jesus movement depends entirely on God's plan. It doesn't depend on whether the disciples can pull it off themselves. I will go before you, he says. I will continue to be your shepherd after I'm risen up. I am not going to let you go. Last thing Peter says, though, because Peter still doesn't get it, and I think Peter still doesn't get it for the benefit of all of us. Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. (laughs) The whole concept of throwing everybody under the bus was, I think, invented by Peter. Even though these 11 knuckleheads aren't going to hold on, you got me. Okay? Just so you know, even though they fall away, I'm going to be here. Yeah, Jesus, I get it. You're talking about wink, wink. (laughs) Over there. But Jesus looks looks at him. He says, you are a little bit arrogant. I think he always wants to say that to Peter because one time he called him, get, get behind me, Satan. And Jesus said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, this very night, before the ro- rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. He says, you think that you can do this on your own, Peter. I'm going to show you that without my strength, without what I have for you, you're not going to make it. But he said emphatically, I, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same thing. Then they all jumped in and go, yeah, we're with him. Yeah, where are they all going to be when this happens? Not there. They're all going to be scattered. And what's going to bring them back? What's going to bring them back? A resurrected Jesus is going to bring them back. For without the resurrected Jesus that we are now pointing towards, the death of Jesus would have been the end. The death of Jesus, if Jesus would have just died and we were supposed to get the significance of that, and if we were supposed to just understand, oh, he died and we're trying to make our own understanding, we'd have no church today. It took Jesus rising from the dead. It took the fact that he is saying, understand the fact that I will come back, I will rise from the dead, and I will keep you on the right path. And so he has this plan worked out for us. He has a plan all along the way. He's got, you see how he's got it step, every single step? He says, I know somebody's going to betray me. That person's going to have to deal with it, but guess what? This is all going to work for God. And then I'm going to be crushed. I'm going to be, the fruit, my blood is going to be scattered. You know what? It's all going to work out. I've got a plan for that. And then you're, some of you are going to, tr- you all are going to turn on me. You know what? It's been written. I understand, but I'm going to be there for you. All of communion, every time we take communion, the one point we have to understand is we fail God, God never fails us. Never. 
you say, I, would, I, I can't believe this week I didn't tell somebody about my faith. Did you deny Jesus three times in a night? Um, one time to a slave girl that had absolutely no power and somebody who was right next to Jesus? Look at Peter. Look at these people. Look at the fact that Jesus says, I will forgive you. You're going to be scattered, but I'm going to bring you back. God has a plan for you. I'm going to ask our uh, communion servers to come forward. If you're here today, we're going to take communion like it's been uh, just laid out for us today. If you're here today and you've never accepted Christ, you've never made him the master and savior of your life, I want to tell you right now, you have the opportunity to become a Christian. You have the opportunity to become a follower of Jesus Christ. If you want to make that commitment, you just call out to Christ and say, Lord, I believe in you. I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you rose from the dead and you are the master of my life. And when you do that, you call you say, God, forgive me. Come into my heart. When you do this, God forgives you. And you say, but what about all the things that I've done? You already covered that. He talked about the fact that he did this. The final sacrifice was made for every single sin that's ever been made. What we're about to take in communion today should let you know that there is no sin that God has not covered. There is no sin that Christ has not covered. And for the rest of us today, this is the time while we examine ourselves to look down on a crushed Christ, a crushed blood that is spilled, and understand that, God, we have let you down. We have let you down today, but God, please now, Forgive us of our sins and bring us back. And you know what Jesus is saying? I've been already working on that for a long time. All I was doing was waiting for you to ask. Jesus, he knows what's going on in your life. He knows what to do with you because he has a plan. We're going to have three communion stations set up. If you just want to take the elements and go back to your seat, we will take the elements together. And as they were eating, it says in verse 22, he took bread and after blessing it, he broke it. Remember, he broke it because he's saying, this bread is going to be broken. This bread that you're looking at is going to be broken for you. Crushed, the, for, uh, Isaiah 53 says, crushed for our iniquities. Broken for us. And he says, and gave it to them. He said, take this. This is my body. He says, take this blessing. I'm passing this blessing onto you. My brokenness goes to you today. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Think about the grapes that were crushed. Think about what was crushed for us, the spilling of Jesus' blood. Again, the blessing that is given from him to us. We drink it together as a communion of body of believers. We drink it, proclaim the fact that he died for us, he rose again, and he's coming again. Lord, the reason it is well for us today is because though we have been like the disciples, God, and have scattered, though we may have betrayed you, Jesus, and we have to examine ourselves and how we betrayed you, Though, God, we don't know the future. We don't know what's going on. God, you have prepared. You have prepared things before us, and you, have, you know the plan for us, God, and you are our great shepherd. Well, draw us in. 
And not only will you draw us in, God, but you have allowed yourself to be broken. You have allowed yourself, your blood to be spilled. And you did this for us, God, for the forgiveness of our sins. So God, we may and we will, God, let you down. But God, you never let us down. You never let us down. You have a plan, God. We thank you for this, God. And we pray that you be with us this week, God, helping us to have the opportunity to share the good news of Jesus with those around us. We ask this now in the name of Jesus. Amen.